Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hope you enjoyed the previous episode. Uh, in this episode, we're going to just do a short discussion about uh, something I stumbled across when I was doing my research and my reading. I'm going to read you a, um, an excerpt from a letter from our uh, good friend, Mr. John Adams. This one's actually from quite a bit into the future from where we are currently in the uh, typical timeline. Uh, right now we're 1774-75, but uh, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna go forward in time, and we're gonna go live to 1816, February 13th of 1816 to be exact. And this is a letter written to a Mr. Niles from John Adams, and I, I find the the sentiments in this letter to be particularly striking about the American Revolution, this time period that we're that we're in right now. And I, I hope that you find it equally as interesting as I do. So let's get going on this. Let's light this candle. Quote. The American Revolution was not a common event. Its effects and consequences have already been awful over a great part of the world. And when and where are they to cease? But what do we mean by the American Revolution? Do we mean the American War? The Revolution was affected before the war commenced. The Revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people. A change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. When the king and all in authority under him were believed to govern in justice and mercy, according to the laws and constitution derived to them from the God of nature, and transmitted to them by their ancestors. They thought themselves bound to pray for the king and queen, and all the royal family, and all in authority under them, as ministers ordained of God for their good. But when they saw those powers renouncing all the principles of authority and bent upon the destruction of all the securities of their lives, liberties, and properties, they thought it their duty to pray for the Continental Congress and all the 13 state congresses. End quote. And then it continues a little further down, quote, This radical change in the principles, opinions, sentiments, and affections of the people was the real American Revolution. End quote. I find this fascinating for any number of reasons, you know. there There's always something about crawling around inside the mind of uh, John Adams, which is what we get to do when we read his letters. A lot of times, you know, modern Americans sometimes think themselves these uh, these great people, you know, we're, we're, with our advanced technology that we have, our, our seeming access to, to great knowledge through the, uh, the internet. But what have we accomplished? What have we done? Like my, my generation, for example, and the generation coming up behind me, which are, which are already adults by now, not all of them, but most of them, and then the, the generations that preceded me, uh, the one like the one right in front of me, for example, what have we accomplished that is of, of any, any, any consequence, such as the, uh, the American Revolution or the founding of a country? And the answer is, compared to these men of 76, we have accomplished absolutely nothing in our lives. Nothing of consequence. That's my opinion. But that's, uh, that's the way that it is. We struggle even to hold on to the things that these men accomplished, the men of 76. We struggle even just to hold on to it, to defend it, to understand it, to make the time to understand it. That study of history that I keep talking about. The Founding Fathers certainly took the time to understand the people that came before them, going all the way back to the Greeks. Yet we have such a hard time understanding and studying the men who came before us not very long ago, just a few generations back, relatively speaking, who spoke the same language, lived under the same constitution and laws, 
It's really quite quite spectacular, actually, that we've managed to, to fumble this up so badly as we have. But that, that's not the only reason why I find this fascinating. Um, basically, the you know the uh, the the respect that I have for what these men did, despite their flaws, despite the mistakes that they made, and boy did they make mistakes, and boy did some of them have some very serious flaws. They still accomplished something pretty spectacular. And he says it here: "quote The American Revolution was not a common event." End quote. No kidding. No kidding. It was not a common event. This was something spectacular that Mr. Adams and his uh, his associates, his countrymen, accomplished together. And it was pretty spectacular. And again, you know, people from the 21st century like to look back and, and, and pass judgment on them like they're sitting on some kind of a high horse, like they've accomplished something better than what these guys did. I, I really find that spectacular, don't you? But yes, the American Revolution was certainly not a common event. It was something uh, spectacular in the history of the world, and always will be. And um, there's nothing really that can change that. History is what history is. Not what we want it to be. It is what it is. And Mr. Adams articulates it here quite precisely. And he says it here, quote, Its effects and consequences have already been awful over a great part of the globe. And when and where are they to cease? End quote. What does he mean when he says awful? He doesn't mean awful as in terrible. He means in awe of. In other words, it's a... Uh, Somebody, somebody should be in awe, uh, in witness of it. And people were around the world. People who understood it, understood what this was. And they knew how revolutionary and amazing it truly was, what was being created over here in the United States. And that's why, you know, people from almost the very beginning began to flock in droves to the United States, from Europe and elsewhere. And they, did, they didn't do it because it was a terrible place. They did it because they saw something great in it. People tend not to flock to places they find terrible. And then further down, he says, quote, The revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people. A change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations, end quote. Boy, we have lost touch with that, haven't we? Our duties and our obligations. We spend a lot of time talking about our rights, but not a lot about our responsibilities and our obligations. They're, they're, you can't have one without the other. I mean, you can have rights for a little while if you don't accept your responsibilities, but again, like I've said before, that's living on borrowed time. You're basically um, surviving on the, uh, on the work that the generations before us did as far as their, their obligations and their responsibilities. You're surviving only on their work, and eventually it's going to peter out and die. And the only thing that's going to be left is empty rights... Uh, that are that are slowly, you know, dripped away over time. But um, yes, the revolution was in the minds and the hearts of the people. In other words, it wasn't on the battlefield so much as it was in the hearts and the minds of the people. This was not a uh, the revolution was not a, a war in, in and of itself. It was something bigger than that. It was it was a change. It was a it was a shift in in the in the thoughts of liberty. As articulated in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and other documents. It wasn't just those two documents, by the way. The states had their own documents. The colonies had their own documents, aside from that of the General Congress or the General Government. It's important to keep that in mind. This is a lot larger than people think it is, and it's a lot more substantive and deeper than people think it is. This wasn't just a war of people uh, fighting fighting a government because they didn't want to pay their taxes, despite all the lies and the uh, the... The manipulation that occurs in the history classes, in some history classes, not all of them, in some of the history classes, and certainly in the public discourse in, in the modern day. That would be the gutter sniping that I referred to previously. A change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. I think we need to keep a mind to that. I think we need to keep a mind towards our religious sentiments. Yes, I said it. Oh my gosh, Roman. Are you trying... What is this, the, 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 the religious podcast? I mean, what are you talking about, religious sentiment? Well, you know what? It's it's just, it is what it is. The Founding Fathers didn't accomplish what they did because they were a wandering band of blissfully ignorant atheists. That's not how this happened. There's a, there's a, there's a story to be told there, and I've tried to uh, reference that before in various ways. 
something to pay attention to, because I, I am firmly of a belief that those religious sentiments, their duties and obligations, as John Adams articulates it here, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And people are going to disagree with me on that. But, you know, I, I was reading some work from John Adams earlier as well, and I'm going to talk about it later. I'm not going to talk about it now. I'm just going to leave it a mystery to you. Uh, John Adams talks about, in other parts of the world, what happens when you take those religious sentiments away from the duties and obligations. What happens? He talks about it at some length. And it's very, very good writing on the part of Mr. Adams. The man was a brilliant, brilliant thinker. Truly brilliant. So he talks about here how, you know, at one point in time, the people were praying for the king and the, and the, the royal family. Quote, they thought themselves bound to pray for the king and queen and all the royal family, end quote. That would be the loyalty to the, uh, the British crown that the, uh, the people in the colonies had at one particular point in time. But then there was a sea change, wasn't there? Quote, But when they saw those powers renouncing all the principles of authority and bent upon the destruction of all the securities of their lives, liberties, and properties, they thought it their duty to pray for the Continental Congress and all the 13 state congresses, end quote. You notice how they, he didn't just say the Continental Congress? He mentioned all those 13 congresses as well, didn't he? Remember what I say about that division of power between the federal and the state, the central power versus the states, the states versus the central power, and the need to have those state identities remain intact and not sullied or undermined in any particular kind of way by a common rabble or the central power reaching out by fiat dictatorship? Remember that? There's a reason for it, folks. And Mr. Adams is alluding to it here. It's in, it's in the subtle language that he's using here. He's, you know, you can read into it without actually him saying it out loud. It's all built into this. This isn't terribly uh, complicated to see. People will ignore it. People will try to lie to you about it. And people will try to manipulate you about it. But it is what it is. It's plain on the paper. That's why I go to the source material. I don't just sit on this podcast with some other clown joking back and forth about this kind of stuff. I, I get serious about it because this is serious business. Uh, in John Adams' time in the 1770s and 80s, this was life and death for people. People were dying every day. And we forget that because, again, we, we treat it like mythology. Like this, oh, this is just some group of people that lived way back yonder, back in the old-timey ways, and, you know, we don't know these people, My our grandparents didn't know these people, and they don't really matter because they lived so long ago, and it's practically mythology anyway. It practically didn't even happen because it happened so long ago. That's kind of the mindset. I mean, people don't say that out loud, but that's, that's what's going on inside their head when they talk about these people or they think about these people, and we've got to get out of that. We've got to stop that. We got to think about these folks like they're real people, and we've got to, we got to, we got to, we got to put their faces in our mind—the faces of these men who went through such terrible things, such as they did. You know, the torture, the brutality, the murder, the warfare, the killing—and these men didn't want it. Understand? These men didn't want the killing. The British military did. The British government wanted the killing and the murder, or they wanted—they—they they wanted uh, the the white flag. One of the two. They wanted either the colonists to raise up the white flag of surrender, or they wanted. Bloodshed, one of the two. The Founding Fathers just wanted their freedom and their liberty, and they were perfectly happy to have it under the British Empire or under an independent band of states united. Perfectly happy to have it either way, but they were determined to have it, and that's why they got it. They got it because they were men determined to be free, and America should learn the lesson of that, and I, I fear that this has been lost. I don't know entirely that the American people are determined to be free. I take a long, hard look at the American people today, and I don't see it. I don't feel it. And frankly speaking, I don't hear it. You know what I hear more often than not? I hear a couple of things. I hear anger and I hear fear. People are scared. People are terrified. They are terrified of forces they don't even fully understand and of 
things that really they ought not be afraid of. The Founding Fathers were not afraid, by the way. They really weren't. I mean, they had normal fear like everybody else, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like they, they didn't ever feel fear of battle, of combat, of oppression, or things of that nature. But what I mean by they didn't they weren't afraid is just that they were it the fear didn't matter. They were willing to confront their responsibilities and their duties regardless. That's what I mean by no fear. It's a it's basically a, a lack of recognition of that fear or a lack of surrender to that fear, I guess would be the way to way to put it. And, you know, white flag Americans were around at the time in 1774, 75, this period of time that we're talking about. I call them white flag Americans because white flag Americans are basically the surrender Americans. And they're, they're all, they're, they've been in the country since the beginning. And they're here today. They are, they're definitely here today. And they're, they're, honestly, they're, they're out there in droves. I don't think it's a majority of the country, but I do believe that white flag Americans walk around in society today. They're, you, you, you can hear them when they talk. You know them when you hear them, if you know what to pay attention to. It's, it's the go-along-to-get-along-kick-the-can-down-the-road crowd that we've talked about before. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about there, just go back and listen to some of the historic episodes of this podcast, and you will get a very, very clear idea of what we're talking about, because Mr. William Tudor and a number of other people that we've talked about on this podcast in the John Adams series that we've done and, and elsewhere, uh, we, we've talked a lot about the kick-the-can-down-the-road crowd. That's basically your typical Class A white flag American. Very dangerous people, generally speaking. But the government likes that kind of guy, or, or gal, don't they? At least a tyrannical government does. Now, now a, a government that's really determined to uh, live by the articles of the Constitution is, doesn't like those kind of people. But any kind of tyrannical government would certainly enjoy, like, like King, King George III loved white flag Americans. I mean, he loved them. I mean, he had a slobbering love affair with those people. And they had a slobbering love affair with him as well. Because they, they kind of, they, they really play off one another. They complement each other well. King George III wants to do whatever he darn well pleases. And the white flag Americans, are more than happy to oblige him, right? See how that works? And it's the same goes in every other country around the world. You know, you can replace white flag American with white flag German or white flag Frenchman or a white flag Russian. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. And the tyrants absolutely adore these people. They also tend to kill these people in droves, by the way. But they, for, for a time, at least, they do love them because they're useful. They're always very useful people. I'll read this section again. Quote, The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people, a change in the religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. End quote. And then further on down, quote, They thought it their duty to pray for the Continental Congress and all the 13 state congresses, etc. Yes, that should, you know, we should look to our legislatures to solve a lot of problems, shouldn't we? Not necessarily to the central power, but to the, to the legislatures. Because why? Because those are the bodies of the people. And that's kind of the whole point. We have a central power for very specific reasons, and some of those reasons are pretty doggone good. But there's also a lot of really good reasons why we have the legislature such as we do, and not just the Congress. Again, don't make everything a federal issue, because most things are not federal issues. I'll say that one more time loud and proud. Most things are not federal issues. They're local issues, and they should be handled locally. And if you try to make everything a federal issue, you are begging for tyranny. You're asking for it. You're asking for the iron fist to come down and destroy you, your family, and your neighbors. You may not realize that that's what you're asking for, but then again, that's generally the case when people don't study history. They don't understand what they're doing. But for those of us, like you folks on this podcast, who take the time, especially you, you regular listeners to the podcast, who are very determined to study this kind of information and to listen to what the Founding Fathers had to say, 
you folks are going to be the ones that understand this kind of stuff, truly. Because I, to take this much time out of your week, month, year to, to study this material and listen to this podcast, that's doing something. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a bit of a sacrifice in and of itself to, to study this material so that you can learn from Mr. William Tudor, Mr. Adams, Mr. Washington, Mr. Franklin, and all these great people that we read from. Like I said, despite their flaws and their, their various mistakes that they make along the way, and I'm going to talk a lot more about those mistakes as we go on, of course. I'm not going to ignore them. But despite all of that, they have something to teach us. And Mr. Adams here, in just this very brief section of this letter, is very articulate and very, very, very clear. And uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot to be learned here. I'll give you an example. Quote, And bent upon the destruction of all the securities of their lives, liberties, and properties. End quote. You notice how he didn't say lives, liberties, and pursuit of happiness? He said lives, liberties, and properties. Why did he say that? Why did he say property instead of pursuit of happiness? Because that's the original sentiment. It comes from uh, John Locke and others. We've talked about that just briefly before. It really was the, the original sentiment of the time that was commonly said was life, liberty, and property from John Locke and others, right? And we talked about, there was a letter that we talked about a few episodes ago where uh, we, a sentiment was conveyed to us that those who are deprived of their private property are basically slaves. And so this, this destruction of securities, of their lives, liberties, and properties, that it all goes hand in hand. Life, liberty, and property. This is a very important connection to make to your rights and your responsibilities. And when there, is a, when there are forces arrayed against those three things especially, I mean, even just one of those things, but when you have something that is coming against all of those things, your life, your liberty, and your property, you know that you have the very same kind of thing that was against the Founding Fathers in 1774, 75, 76, and beyond. And the answer, the answer to solving that problem is exactly what the Founding Fathers did. It's not to be a white flag American. It's to do exactly what the Founding Fathers did. Stand up, you know, in the Continental Congress and the 13 state Congresses, etc., and make it plain that you're not going to tolerate this kind of stuff. You know, should this ever happen? And to those folks around the world who are listening, it's the same thing. You don't want people coming against your lives, your liberties, and your properties. These sentiments are not just purely American sentiments. They may have really, re they, they may really have found a home here, and they may have been first truly articulated in this way here, and fought for here in, su in, in such a grand a way as this was. But these are human sentiments that, that should exist everywhere in the world. Doesn't matter where it is, because people are people. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be in India, or you could be in Africa, or you could be in Japan, or you could be in Europe, or wherever, and this is the same sentiment. You, need, you should listen to these words from Mr. Adams. Lives, liberties, and properties, and the forces bent upon their destruction. These are things worth defending, because when tyranny comes, it always comes for those three things. Sometimes just one at first, but eventually all three of them. We've learned that throughout history. Show me, a, show me an example of a great tyranny where that was not the case. So, this period of time that we're studying right now, 1774 to 75, we are in the American Revolution, because again, Mr. Adams says that it commenced before the war. The American War and the American Revolution, are they, they overlap with one another, of course, but uh, the one is not entirely the other. That is to say, the war is not entirely the revolution. The, the revolution has already started. It has begun in 1774 and 75. And honestly, it began before that, really. But it's really it's really cooking in 74 and 75, especially once the General Congress meets in Philadelphia. We know that it's going strong. And that's why I've spent so much time talking about this period of time, because some people out there listening to the podcast might wonder, why don't you just get to the point? Why don't you just segue forward to 1775 and talk about what happened there in the middle of the year? 
And why don't you, or why don't you just segue forward to 76 and just start talking about the, uh, the, the stuff around the Declaration of Independence. We've already talked about the Declaration of Independence, and there's a reason why I led off with that, really. But there, but there's, there's more to talk about with regards to that Declaration and the period of time around it. Why don't you just skip forward to that, or why don't you just skip forward to Saratoga or Yorktown or something of that nature? Why, why are you meddling around so long in 1774 and 75? Well, the an- John Adams just gave us the answer. Uh, there's a reason why I didn't go much further back than 74 and 75, uh, because I, I didn't think that there was enough material or substantive enough material to really dwell in that period of time that really to really capture the moment but by the time 74 got there that you really you really do have a larger conversation beginning to happen about this stuff in the letters and whatnot and it becomes it, it becomes abundantly clear you can't miss it and that's why I'm dwelling here right now but uh, you know we will continue and we will we will march forward with uh, the letters such as uh, such as we are and I thank you very much for coming along on the ride with me on this uh, on this journey that we're on. This is a, a fantastic exploration into the, the true source material for the study of the uh, the American Revolution and the founding of the country and all the rest of that stuff around that. And we have a lot to learn, folks. We have a lot to learn. We are students. And Mr. Adams, Mr. William Tudor, Mr. Washington, General Washington as I like to call him, and Mr. Franklin, Dr. Franklin, as many people would call him from back in the day, these men have a lot to teach us. They're, they're, uh, they, they have a lot of lessons to convey to us just by their experience and their wisdom. I, al- I always marvel in this country, you know, when 18-year-old children and uh, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21, 22, they, they think they understand better what this country is than the Founding Fathers did. I always marvel at that. And you might think, well, who, who, who are you talking about, Roman? Who in the world thinks that they, they know more than the Founding Fathers when they're 18, 19, 20 years? You would be surprised is the answer to that question. You would be surprised. And honestly, just put your ear to the ground and listen to some of these people talk, especially kids in college. Good grief. I was there once upon a time in college, and I, I heard you know, I heard some people talk about things, not necessarily directly about the Founding Fathers, but things that impact what they did. And they really do think themselves a bunch of geniuses and, and, and wise old men at the, at the ripe old age of 21 or something like that. And it really is laughable at best. It, uh, it, it makes one just... Uh, marvel at the arrogance of some people but you know those of us on this podcast we know better i certainly do and you know i'm a long way from the university at this point and when i was there i certainly didn't think myself the wise old man Uh, i actually listened to my betters that came before me and i i certainly listen to the founding fathers today and the wisdom that they have to convey to us do i agree with them all the time absolutely not and boy am i going to be talking about that in podcast episodes to come you're going to be hearing about that kind of stuff I mentioned it briefly, I think, in a previous episode that I have jo- I have uh, James Madison lined up in my sights. <laughs> uh, not that I have a problem with James Madison, generally speaking. He's a very intelligent man, very wise uh, for his age and for his time. Very wise man, very capable. I have a lot of respect for that man. And he led this he led this country in wartime, in the War of 1812. He was a wartime president, and I think he um, I think he did a fairly good job of it. He was not a bad president. But the, some of the sentiments I read in his letters sometimes make me wonder, what, what in the world was he thinking? And the answer to the question is 250 years of hindsight. I have 250 years on that man. And those 250 years have taught us things that he just simply didn't know at the time. So it's not that James Madison was a bad guy or an unintelligent man. He just didn't know. So yes, I do agree with the Founding Fathers in some respects. But I still understand that these men were probably still wiser than me. I mean, if I had lived in their time, I would have made many more mistakes than these men made. 
The only thing that makes me any any wiser at all in anything, and I'm not wiser than them in everything, but only in a few things. And the only reason why that is the case is just because of 250 years of history. That's it. That's all I've got on these guys. I'm not more intelligent than them. Nothing. And I understand that. So I am a student of theirs, truly. But the student can sometimes disagree, and we'll talk about that. And you folks may disagree with some of the things the Founding Fathers said and did. Perfectly fine. We'll talk about that, too. But uh, certainly I, have, I, I still have respect for these men, especially John Adams, Samuel Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and those guys, so, and so many others. William Tudor, a uh, great deal of respect for him as well. And uh, that'll never end. And that's why we're here, because we, have, we, we know that we have something to learn from these guys, uh, because they were the wise men. Uh, we may not be the wise men, but they were, and we have something to learn from them. And so I, I thank you again. I am honored truly to have you with me on this journey. Uh, it is it is, it is a, a great honor to, to be here with you folks, especially. And I thank you for getting the word out about the podcast and sharing it with uh, family, friends, associates, and so on and so forth, so that we can get some more people over here on this podcast. And I see the numbers grow uh, on the podcast, and I'm happy about that, because it just means that we've got more people in our study group here, and we've got more people uh, willing to listen to the wise old men that came before us and learn a little something about how this country got started and why. Why did it get started? Very important. So let's keep doing that. And with that said, I look forward to seeing you all folks here on the next episode. And this is Roman signing off. Thank you.